Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast, brought to you by Visual Thinking, inspiring retail performance. Hello, I'm Ben Bland, and this is the Retail Exchange Podcast. London Fashion Week is upon us, and on the catwalk, we will see some of the most creative and, in some cases, most expensive offerings from designers. And a lot of those clothes will make their way, in some form, into high street stores. The reality, though, is that fashion retail is struggling. Philip Green is reviewing his Arcadia Group, which includes Topshop and Outfit, and even a brand that was once seen as the future of the high street, Misguided, announced that it is shutting its Westfield store. Even online, the pressure's being felt, ASOS issuing a profit warning for the coming months. In this episode, we'll look at the specific challenges and what fashion retail can do to revive its fortunes. With me to discuss all of that, I have Lorna Hall, Director, Retail at WGSN, Naina McIntosh, Founder and Chief Executive of Hope Fashion, and Kirsty Keane, Lead Retail Specialist at Visual Thinking. Welcome to you all. Let's just begin by setting out the challenges currently facing fashion retail. Um, Lorna, what do you think are the biggest challenges? I think uh, the biggest challenge really is a very different consumer mindset in the shopper. Um, and that's that's divided in certain ways. It's the whole digital way they want to browse and discover a product and then how they want to buy it. It's about a mindset that's also um, very value focused. We're seeing a lot of polarisation around price and that's such a very big challenge for everyone in the market. Um, uh, And then we also have a younger mindset that's coming in and wanting to buy in a much more social way. So uh, they, they, they want to uh, buy and sell peer-to-peer and we're seeing the growth of a market that's not really properly being tracked and is such a huge sort of shift in mindset from this Generation Z customer, Z customer who's coming in. So lots of big challenges and also the abundance of choice and the fact that we none of us can cope with how much is out there and we want to cut through it. And as a really interesting Google Trends survey uh, at the end of last year that said the, one of the biggest rises in online sort of uh, shopping sort of searches was, I just want to know the 10 best. And I think that really sort of indicates a mindset that's just overloaded and wants to cut through to try and make a decision. You know, we're in sort of this decision paralysis. We see too much. and um, We just want someone to help us cut through and make those decisions in shopping. Nana, in your view, what are the the biggest challenges facing fashion retail? Um, I will come at this, Ben, from a perspective of the 40-plus woman because that's the market that I'm um, wanting to talk to. I think it's the part of the market that I know best. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges is actually understanding her her mindset and her what she's looking for. I'm 57 almost. And I know the crisis of confidence I went through, kind of going past my 50s. And there's this whole piece around, you used to dress a certain way and that doesn't really work as you get older and you've really got to think about that. And I think it's about retailers and fashion leaders putting themselves in the mind of that customer to think about what solutions are for her and because we don't want to look like we are 20 something and we don't want to look like our mothers frankly Um, even though my mum looks amazing I have to say but um, I think it's it's understood I suppose the core of that Ben it's about understanding the customer's mindset my customer's mindset and what it is she's looking for from a lifestyle point of view and traditional high street shopping is not that easy for some of for some of these women and I think it's about how we put together options for her that tick her boxes and frankly make her feel confident again it's interesting because from what we've heard from from Lorna and now from you is that there's a balance to be struck between having too much choice and being overwhelmed and not having enough choice mm-hmm. um, Kirsty what do you see as the main challenges? 
Well, I'm the third anchor, I suppose. I can talk most confidently then about experience. So I think that at the moment there is, as Lorna says, a vast array of offer in terms of the multiple brands that are on the high street. I think the retailers are struggling to identify who their customers are and therefore ultimately offering a bit of everything to everybody. And I think that cut through is really, really difficult when we talk about experience in retail stores. Uh, You see it all over. Stores are becoming quite mediocre. They're all becoming like one another. You know, there are very few that are actually standing out from the crowd and being bold and really standing up for who they are and who they're trying to target. With that in mind then, based on personal experience, What kind of a shopper are you? How do you make your choices? How do you spend your money? I am a high street shopper and I'm proud to be one. I do tend to browse online, but then I do go and stomp the high street and I will happily go and spend, you know, hours at a time, actually sometimes a lot less in brands that I really resonate with. So, for example, I would say I'm a lifetime John Lewis shopper. So I've spent many years going into that store because I trust them and they've really established that trust in me since I've been shopping. But then I'd also say I'm quite a lifestyle shopper as well. So I do tend to be drawn into brands like Bowdoin, like Coz and others like that. So I want something a little bit different, but smaller, you know, smaller capsule collections that I can go in, grab them and leave quite happily. It's interesting because a lot of people will do it the other way, won't they? They will browse in store and then go and buy online mm-hmm. because it's more convenient or cheaper. Um, I, I just wonder, Nayla, is that the way that you shop? How, how, how would you describe yourself as a shopper? Um, I'm increasingly becoming that small independent store um, on in a market town somewhere. So whether that be Southwold or whether it be... Uh, Dorchester, whatever. Um, I'm much more motivated by going in and still love to touch and feel, but I actually want the interaction with somebody. I want someone to talk to me. I want someone to actually help me and help me put things together because their insight's far better than mine of what they've got to offer. So um, I've, I've become much more local, actually. And Lorna? Yeah, I'm a child of the 80s and so I love to shop. It's kind of in my DNA. I was taught to shop. Consumption is great. Um, But I actually, interestingly, have really rolled that back recently and started to think about my consumption levels. And that has led me to do quite a lot of um, secondhand buying. And I suppose what I enjoy about that is the treasure hunt, which is luxury of time so what I've done I suppose is taken all that energy that I used to put into um, full price shopping and kind of made it a sort of half day out to go somewhere to a fair or to a couple of resale shops and look at what they have and I think there's actually quite a lot of people particularly the younger end doing this, obviously, in the market at the moment. But um, there's also lateral trends sort of playing into that, which is, I suppose, sustainability being one of them, um, which I suppose has really affected my purchasing behaviour. But I still love an independent because they offer that difference and they offer that passion when you walk in. A good one will always offer you a view on a collection that is totally different from how it might end up in a bigger store, even a department store, because it's their eye for their market and it makes something look so fresh and new. You might have walked past it in a bigger store, but because it has that very sort of curated look about it, you kind of approach that item in a completely different way. You see it new almost. So I still love that kind of shopping as well. But I am less a high street shopper than I used to be. Lorna, I just want to pick up and and delve into a little more detail something that you talked about there, which is the trends and shopper behaviour as reflected in your own habits. How much of that do you think is reflected more widely? What are the trends that are affecting fashion retail now? Well, the big coming issue for the market in terms of the younger generation, for all of us really, and we're seeing it is sustainability and consumption. And we are seeing a lot of volume come out of the market you know there is less volume sales in the last 2017 2018 on panels people seem to be like buying fewer fashion garments does that equate to people buying fewer items and wanting higher quality and being prepared to pay more for for a smaller number or not not necessarily is the answer to that so i think a lot of that is 
there's an element of the sustainability piece, which is uh, some people saying, okay, I really, ha- I'm going to watch my consumption. Most of it is us using our money elsewhere on other things, to be frank. So fashion has become less of a, a sort of identifying priority for most people. I mean, sales are still growing in the market overall, but I think, you know, the way we sort of define our identities is now less tagged by fashion. I think that's an interesting trend in itself, actually, because it changes the way we sort of, as customers and shoppers, look at fashion trend overall and whether it's important to us to be wearing a trend or not. And I think, as Nana said, much it's much less trends from a fashion point of view are much less important mm-hmm. um, than they were a decade ago. But lifestyle is becoming much more important. In terms of the sector trends, mm. for a long time, people have been saying that the high street faces a challenge from online. We're now seeing, for example, towards the end of 2018, ASOS forecasting that it was looking at a dip in sales and profits in, in the coming months. Is there an opportunity there for traditional retail to move back in and reclaim the space? I think there is an opportunity for traditional retail as long as they also at the mass market chain level have all the service that comes from having a great digital offering as well um, to compete in the world now for the customer because the service experience and trust um, when done in the right way can really pay off. I mean, we've, we've just heard you've got a long-term John Lewis customer on the other side of the table, and that is very much about all of those things put together in a way that really works for your lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. Just to pick up on that, how well do you think the fashion retail sector is responding to those uh, points that you've identified as the way customers shop and the way they want to shop? I think that there's some great innovation around uh, tech um, uh, cutting through. I think the problem is, and it comes back to sort of legacy and history for the offline retail, is that we're going through a real pain point at the moment, which is about basically rescaling the industry for the way we shop now. You know, we had too many shops. We browse first and then we may come in to shop. And so once we get through this period, um, I think that shops will have less product on the floor and that will be a much better shopping experience. And I think that's the big problem for the industry at the moment is for a lot of people, there's too much product on the floor and it's a bad experience. You mentioned some innovations there and use of technology. Which are the ones that you've seen that have added to the customer experience and that you think will make a real difference in the high street stores? Uh, so we, at WSM, we keep talking about this thing called, um, per, you know, these two different words that are bandied about. And one is personal and one is personalised. And they get seen as the same thing. And sort of personalised is, uh, for us, uh, is sort of, you know, the way technology, uh, machine learning, for example, in, is enabling us to sort of cut through and offer the customer, you know, things that they're more likely to want because we've seen what they, they've been looking at and, and, you know, we're offering up solutions for them. Personal is very much more about a more one-to-one engagement. It might be shopping by message. It might be answering customer queries by personal message, you know, in a space that is much more intimate for the customer and is very much more one-on-one and they feel it's about building a bond and a trust. So personalise is almost the way we develop machine learning in the future to get the right things in front of the customer, create convenience and, uh, you know, get a really good service experience going. And the personal part is how we build in that trust and engagement so that they come back. Nana, I just wonder, from your experience, how is it different today in terms of launching a new retail fashion brand compared with, for example, when you were doing that Georgia Tazda and Peruna? In some ways... There are some things that are not different at all. When I look to set up Hope 
I was really clear, the world needs another women's wear brand like a hole in the head. So what, what you have to have is a point of difference. So what is it you're going to be, what are your unique selling points? And I think that's as relevant today as it was for, you know, when we did Peruna 17 years ago and when we did Georgia Asta, dare I say, um, 30 years ago. Um, I think it's the way you execute it today that's very different. Um, so one of our USPs, for instance, was that I was emphatic about where I wanted to source this product from. And my starting point was I want to source out of the UK. You know, the rest of the team just laughed at me. And I said, no, because I happen to think for this customer, it kind of matters where it came from. And to, to Lorna's point about sustainability, and I, the young don't have exclusivity on that. I think, um, I think actually as you get older, the more conscious you are of these things. So we we only source, for instance, out of Italy and the UK. You know, the factories we work with, I know the factory owners, you know, most of them are family owned. And there is something quite authentic about the relationship that we have. I think the thing that's changed massively is how you go about marketing your brand today compared to 17 years ago. You know, it isn't just about getting a write-up or an advertorial in vogue, and that does the job. It might do for some, but quite honestly, it's actually about how you reach out to your community, how you actually talk to women on a much more personal level about things that matter to them. You know, we've all talked about lifestyle or life stage, and I think it's increasingly important. It isn't just about clothes. It's actually about my world. Nana, you talk about the importance of marketing. As an independent fashion retailer, how do you cut through when there is so much competition for people's attention? I think that is the $64 million question, honestly, because <laughs> if we all had the answer to that, we would scale much bigger, much quicker. Um, I think the, the reality is from a, a small independent brand as we are, is that it's about how we can do it organically. It's about how we can do it through our customers. Um, it's also about how we can do it through, and I've used this word before, but this feeling of community. One of the things that we've kind of, really challenge the market on is that we use a collection of real models and real women and you might think that doesn't matter but when we step when we take our foot off the gas on using real women our customers come back loud and clear and say where are they I want to imagine what this looks like on a size 14 16 model I'm not interested always in what it looks like on a, a size 10 it's about that authenticity and reaching out to your customers in a way that she can relate to. And I suppose as a small independent fashion retailer, yeah. there are things that you can do that give you the edge that perhaps the bigger players simply can't. And what I have in mind is uh, your hope at home mm -hmm. idea yeah. of inviting people to try the clothes on in your own home. Yeah, I mean, this is this was a dream from day one, you know. And I, so I said earlier that my my personal favourite experience is shopping in an independent store. That's quite often this because these businesses up there, the, the woman behind the counter is usually the owner of the shop. Um, she knows the brand and as, as Lorna says, absolutely has curated the collection for her customer. And, you know, just to digress for a moment, we were at a show recently and... The, the business owner I was talking to had actually come with a list of her customers in mind and what would suit them. You know, uh, the customers had said, when you go to that show in Birmingham, look out for X, Y and Z. And that's exactly what she did. So I think my whole concept was this idea of actually being able to put together outfits for women in the comfort of their own homes with a group of friends who she can honestly say, does my bum look big in this? And get the answer, rightly or wrongly. It's about body confidence. And as you get older, for lots of women, that gets tougher. And um, it's actually been able to get some advice to how you put things together. And as I said, in the intimacy of the space of your own home, um, what's not to love, really? And when we look at the, the current challenges, the current situation, especially for the established big retailers of, of which you have experience of, of working with them, are the traditional approaches that they have always followed now completely out of step with the volume and the speed of modern fashion retail? I think... Yeah, again, Lorna made this point around too much choice and too much volume. And, you know, personally, it was one of the things I had real 
problems with was um, if you put too much on an arm, you know, Kirsty, I'm sure we'll talk about this shortly, but if you put too much volume on an arm, she can't get one single piece out. So actually, it's better to put less on and give her that choice. I mean, there was, an, there was a quote genuinely that came out of a piece, of a piece of research when I worked in corporate life where she would go into one brand, shall we say, on the our high street and felt like she had to breathe in and she could go into another brand equally big footprint and where but she felt she could breathe out and that was because it was giving her the space to think before she started to consume and um and i think some of those traditional stack it high sell it cheap I think it's just, I think it's very, very difficult in the current climate for all the reasons that we've, we've heard about, you know, too much volume, too much consumerism. It's about an edited choice. Kirsty, you can see why fashion retailers are thinking we've got to put a huge quantity and a huge choice on the shop floor because that's what people can get online and that is where we have to meet that challenge. Is that the right approach? I think for some brands, it works for them. You look at Primark and actually their model caters for that. It's low price. They are driving the volume and that's what they target their customers with and it's what their customers leave with armfuls of product, you know, for very little money. Saying that, they're still hugely profitable. But then actually, if you talk about, as we've just been sort of, I suppose, discussing, some of the mainstream, really established brands, stacking it high, selling it cheap is just not going to cut it. Standards, for me, is something that has absolutely fallen by the wayside. So they have these vast estates relying quite heavily on technology and a really lean workforce. And actually, for me, what is missing is the emphasis on getting back to basics. So we talk about, you know, having the service there to be able to aid me in my selection or help me to find products in my size. Um, I want that now. I also want to be able to shop in a neat, clean and tidy environment. Too often am I walking into stores nowadays and I'm so overwhelmingly disappointed with what I see in front of me. I see products stacked way too high for the price that it's there for. It's not what I would expect to see. I see really messy service points. So I'm talking about fitting rooms. I'm talking about cash desks. I mean, I was in New York a couple of weeks ago and I was in uh, Banana Republic and J. Crew, and I literally didn't recognise them. They, I feel like they have transformed or morphed into something that is not who they are and what they stand for. We absolutely can't just rely on price alone, can't rely on volume alone. It's got to be going back to some of those good old-fashioned shopkeeping values. And you mentioned the use of technology. Do you think its role has been overstated or do you think it's just not being used in quite the right way? I think that's exactly the point, Ben. You can't ignore it. However, I don't think at the moment, well, actually, what I'm seeing is an awful lot of retailers relying on tech to drive sales, to drive footfall in whatever way, but they're missing the value that people add. Tech's vitally important, but it must be complementary to, not instead of. On that point, and more generally, are stores getting enough investment? And where should that focus be? For me, I think one of the biggest things that I'm seeing more and more is the lack of investment in stores because clearly, you know, money is being spent in other ways. So it's being spent on tech, it's being spent on insight, it's been spent on things that, yes, are vitally important. But actually, like I we were just talking about, there's also a massive need in investment in stores. The little investment that is being um, used, or should I say, not always little, sometimes it's hugely vast, in some of the flagship stores. And that's great but you're only capturing a very small audience. And therefore, what happens to the rest of the estate? So for me, there is a missed opportunity there in terms of using their budget in a wiser way. So maybe distributing some investment across the estate on a wider scale rather than in short, quick wins. That's what I think is, is missing at the moment. OK, so we've set out the challenges there. And my goodness, there are many. What is it that fashion retailers need to do to get it right? Kirsty? They do need to look at themselves long and hard and start to think like a customer, in all honesty. I think they need to start experiencing their stores as a customer would do and seeing that harsh reality in terms of what am I seeing in terms of customer experience. So trying to think about ways in which they can make their shopping experience more enjoyable, more representative of what a really good retailer should be, which is 
inspiring, satisfying. Um, and, you know, it's going to make me want to come back in again. I mean, I, I, I gave the example earlier about Banana Republic. Actually, I wouldn't want to go back in there unless they did something quite quickly to make it feel like somewhere I want to shop again. Um, it was all well and good having all the products stacked high, but actually, oh, you are not going to get me anywhere near it. So think about ways in which you're presenting your product. Um, but effectively, what I'm getting to here is do something quickly. So respond quickly. And I think that we're seeing, you know, all this huge transition in tech, which is amazing, but actually what is being left behind is the estates and the stores and the people. So I think there is a real need to educate, to implement and really try and transform change at speed. Lorna, what do you make of the way that fashion retailers are tackling the challenges they face and and what can they do better? I think to pick up on something Kirsty said, um, I think the associate is going to be key to a lot of offline retail in the future. And at the moment, the store assistant is, their job is so uninspiring and could be so key to transforming the in-store experience. For in instance, what ways? I suppose in fashion, things like... Um, best use of tech. So arming associates with tech, but in a way store assistants that they can actually better serve the customer um, and be able to perhaps convert an online customer into a customer that comes in store. We're seeing department stores like Neiman Marcus, you know, um, and Saks enabling their um, store associates to be able to talk to customers who are online and service an online customer about style from a store. And I think that's really bringing people, you know, bringing um being able to develop a relationship for an associate. That's the associate of the future. They're better paid, they're more articulate, they're like more engaged one-to-one with the shopper. And that involves the kind of investment, not just in the estate, but in your people. And I really think that we will get to that place. It's it's It has to happen for any of us to really want to come out and browse a stall in the future. And we are starting to see a lot of businesses really investing in teams on the floor. You know, mass market, Target in the US, um, they were talking about their results uh, this year. They've done better than most American retailers. Um, I think it was Target and Craig were saying the same things. They'd actually invested in store teams and people on the floor and giving them more confidence to make decisions there and then, more autonomy and to be able to serve the customer better and putting the tools in the hands of them to do that. And I think that will eventually transform retail. The problem is, as Kirsty says, that a lot of retailers at the moment are running to catch up on the infrastructure that will enable those people to do their jobs really well. And that is, you know, uh, being able to push everything about that customer that they know into that associate's hands at the moment that that they are engaging with them so they can actually have relevant conversations with them. But there is a danger, isn't there, that with some fashion retailers, they actually run so far they run off the edge of a cliff. There is an element of Darwinism on the high street, you know, that there are some retailers that unfortunately don't have the speed, the financial capacity to meet these new customer expectations around the way they want to shop and they will disappear. Kirsty, We were talking earlier actually about um, very well-known brands struggling to keep up and I think this is very typical and representative at the moment in terms of technology. So whilst they want to invest, they can't actually implement anything or deliver anything at scale and at pace so they're having you know it's having to take a long time so by the time they actually get to the point where those other retailers have been doing it they're probably a year, if not two, if not five years behind. And then those people that were already doing that are on to the next big thing. So I think it's almost a bit of a regurgitative negative cycle, actually, that we end up in because you've got those that are streaming ahead, but then you've got those that are lagging behind and the customer isn't then has no appetite for that, even when they've caught up. because yes, they're all... Sorry to cut across. This is what I would call head office retailing. So somebody's got a great idea in the centre. And because you know, I, I like to keep things fairly simple. Retail is about great products being delivered to customers and they're the two ends of the spectrum but there is something really vital in the middle of that and that's the 
the, the store staff and and then you can have a great idea over here on the left and you know you want to get to your customers but if you don't think as part of your planning process how you're going to bring your people with you and actually engage the customer in the most effective way in store then all bets are off frankly the closest thing you've got to your customer are your staff and that has to be a big part of the investment and certainly for me that's at times when it gets very frustrating that we assume that we can land a starship and it's going to be all twinkly and sparkly when it ain't going to happen. And Naina, you've got experience of working within small independent fashion retail and for the the bigger established players and there almost seems a, a cruel irony to the situation where the bigger industry uh, players have the money to introduce the changes mm-hmm. that are needed mm-hmm. but they can't do it in a nimble and effective way. The smaller retailers can be fleet of foot, but they just don't have the money to put into it. How do they meet in the middle? <laughs> That's a great question, Ben. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it, it is really tough. But uh, some, we've, we've all said it in our own way in some ways. And I know it sounds really dull, but it is sometimes about going back to basics. And Such as? And I was talking to the CEO of Oasis recently. And what they were saying was that they had taken Oasis on the road. So they'd actually got a bus and they were taking their store, their product, their brand into communities where they didn't have a store they would tip up at the weekend and park the bus allow customers to come and buy from them and were knocked back by how extraordinarily successful it was which then helped to inform their property strategy so they knew they had an opportunity in that particular town but not this one my dream, yeah, when I talk about a pop-up strategy, without being rude, I'm not talking about some exclusive address in London. I want to go to Manchester, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Leeds, wherever, and talk to my customers in that city and say, come and join us and come and let's have some fun. And frankly, that's sometimes what's missing about all of this. The White Company actually were doing something very similar at Christmas. So they were um, doing very small pop-ups in shopping centres that are regenerating, so yeah. effectively pumping some cash into them. So they didn't go into a unit. Yeah. They literally went into open space within shopping centres. So they were trialling and testing whether or not it was actually going to be effective for them to invest in bricks and mortar. Yeah. But also the really good thing was was that brand engagement. Lorna? I think that it's it's something that a lot of retailers aren't getting is that actually as it changes, you need to almost become an event director, almost like a sort of, um, you know, you have to have a sort of event programmers and think about retail in a totally different way. Kirsty? There also needs to be that investment in the rest of the estate and that elevation in service, in presentation and in you know, educating the people to deliver their overall proposition. Because otherwise, all that happens is, is we have nothing happening anywhere else. And that just leads then to demotivation in teams. It makes the customers not want to go in because they're seeing more of the same. And I think then we're just getting, again, back in that frustrated circle. So I think that there's, you know, a real... Yeah a real need for experience but again delivered like I think we said all of us in the right way and I think that's about what is the store for now because uh because actually why why are we phasing product in the way we're phasing product into stores uh when probably what we need to do is build that event muscle and then phase product into stores in a way that reflects that so that your store assortment is constantly changing as well. It gives you a reason to go in. It gives you a reason to talk to people. It's not just the experience piece. It's that you know something new is coming and you're aware of when it's coming because you're being talked, you know, people are talking to you about when, you know, when this product is going to be dropped. So everything is changing and the way you operate has to change as a result. Naina, there are some people who will recognise the solutions that all three of you have been discussing and will be trying to implement them. And and as part of that, some of the big fashion retailers recognise that they might have to retrain people, put people into different roles, maybe bring in new teams of people and so on. Some of them just can't seem to do it. What do they get wrong when they try and restructure and bring about change in their teams? And what can others learn from that to get it right? 
I think it's about being really clear. Sometimes there can be an awful lot of money spent, but not necessarily wisely, if that makes sense, if that's not being too controversial. Um, And there's no point kind of going out and spending lots of money and making the world look fabulous for one particular day. Yeah, my my objective was always, well, what's it going to be like on a Friday afternoon when Doris goes in? Thanks. What's her experience going to be? You know, when sometimes there would be this big schedule about a store visit because so-and-so is coming, not interested. What does it feel like on a Friday morning? So I think it's actually being, we've all said it in our own way today, the most important thing in all of this is the customer. It's really easy, to, especially in a big business, to to dis, distance yourself from that. And you might have all the insight coming in and you might think you know all of this, but actually, um, to sound terribly old-fashioned, just get in the car and go and visit some shops, talk to sales assistants and ask them what's going on. Because I'll tell you what, in a nanosecond, they'll give it to you. What are the quick wins that can be done easily, Lorna? Oh, I mean, don't ignore a whole market that's got more money. So that's, um, you know, that's the 50 plus woman, for example, or, you know, it's like the thing that I find really difficult is ignoring the fact that, you know, there's less money in the youth market than there's ever been before. And there's more money at the older end of the market. And what we need to do is employ people who understand the older end of the market and how to sell to them um, from a fashion point of view. I mean, this is why brands like Nona's exist effectively. So that's a big, it's just a big chunk of money sitting out there and people are just not spending it on clothes because no one is exciting them um, and making them feel like they are part of the fashion community. It's a really big loss, I think. In that sense then, uh, Nana, Kirsty, why have H&M not gone after the older market? Because we're not sexy enough. Ben, to be honest with you. I mean, let's just cut to the chase here. There was a brilliant report that came out by Jay Walter Thompson, um, the Insight Group, um, funny enough, uh, in July 15 originally, and it was called The Elastic Generation. Deeply unflattering title, but that is what it was called. Um, but it was very much about this 50-plus consumer, not necessarily woman, consumer. And I actually took one of the... Um, uh, points from their press release into our launch pack because what it said at that time was that something like 75% of the UK's wealth is sitting with this 50 plus consumer and then in January 18 they did an update to that report called the female edit and again same group JWT and they actually approached us to be a part of that and the reason they said it was because you're one of the few brands out there who want to talk to this customer in a non-stereotypical and patronising way and the gist of it is at 50 plus we are not dead from the neck up or down and my strap line to my business pack when we put my investor thing together was um in my head I still feel like I'm 30 but regrettably my body doesn't and that's what it's about doesn't mean that I as I said want to go around dressed top to toe in beige or elasticated trousers and crimply shoes I just want to have some choice and I'm very proud of the fact that you know when our customers are are asked to describe hope what they say to us is that it's stylish it's come it's stylish it's comfortable and it's great value If there's so much money in the older market, the the 50 plus, why then have established retailers like Marks & Spencer, House of Fraser, Dorothy Perkins, I could go on, run into such problems? Kirsty. I said it right at the beginning. I think they're trying to be all things to everybody. I've used this term so much recently and I just find it deeply frustrating because to the point Nana's just made, they're not targeting that customer. They're targeting almost everybody and getting all of it not particularly right. So therefore, you know, they're not they're not actually going after any one particular type of customer. They're trying to go for the young, trend-led or tech-savvy, you know, right through to the the mums, you know, my own age and upwards. And actually, they're, they're failing because they're, they just can't quite meet the demand. Um, and it, it's just not an inspiring shopping experience. There, there is low investment. The teams aren't there to give that excellent service that um, Nana was talking about. So I just think that the, the lack of focus actually and the confidence and bravery to actually 
identify who are we going after, who is our customer, right, let's just focus on them. And also, I think also innovating, which we don't see enough of anymore, you know, Big retailers like MS. Because there's no budget to yeah, innovate used to at their level and scale. Really innovate with fabric. And, yeah, and absolutely. you see much less about that. And also, unfortunately, I think because of lots going on in these businesses, when they do innovate, they don't make enough of it. The one place that I do shop a lot of at, um, new merchandise is Uniqlo. Mm-hmm. And it's because Completely one... Completely agree. It's, you have this product that is innovative and works for you. Um, uh, and it's a hero product that they keep coming back to. And, and every season they will innovate around it. So you think, ooh, extra warm heat tech. That sounds good when the beast <laughs> from the East is going to hit. Absolutely. Um, you, know, you know, I'll have some of that. Um, and yes, I do need a down jacket in that colour. Or, you know, it's just like... There's something about those retailers who really understand what they do and do it really well and invest in it and come back to it and reiterate and innovate around it. It, It's confidence, it's trust that you buy into. When Lorna arrived, she was wearing her... Two (laughs) units. Not just one, two. Exactly, yeah. So we had a competition as to how many we, we each had, but... Brilliant example. From a retail environment perspective as well, you know, their standards are absolutely, absolutely. you know, on, that they're on it is the best way I can describe it. So I, I know what the price of my product is. I know you've got good size availability. I can get multiple colours. It's stacked, but I can still get to it. There are people around, the service and the queues and the fitting rooms. It's all expedient. So actually, they give me that full 360. They're not stacking it so high that I've got to search the entire store to find somebody and stand in a queue, to Lorna's point, for in excess of five minutes just to get my purchase. So, you know, I think they are one of the heroes on the high street actually at the moment. And I think not just from a product, you know, technology perspective or in terms of innovation, but also in terms of those old fashioned retailing and shopkeeping standards that we're all striving after. price and quality as well. They seem to have got that value equation around what I'm paying for this and what I think it's worth. Really right. And I think a lot of retailers have got that because of discounting. It's almost like you can't work out now. It's not just that you know probably something's going to go into a sale as a customer. It's also like you feel the price has been inflated because it is going to go into sale because the sale mindset is so pervasive throughout retail now that what is a good price for a product has become almost impossible to define unless you desire that product and it's only there for you in one place. And whilst I agree with everything that both Lorna and Kirsty have said, and we're all having a bit of a Uniqlo loving, <laughs> um, I will just say that, I, and this is genuinely the truth, I got an email this morning from Uniqlo, which was entitled, Roger Federer, My Life, My Jeans. And seriously, you want to go, what on earth does that mean? So yeah. whilst I love what they do yeah. with technology and I love their store standards, from a marketing point of view, you just think, I don't get that. That is not authentic. But isn't that 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 but that comes back to that fully integrated approach where actually they are missing something there, aren't they? Completely. And I think there are so few brands out there and I, I I struggle to even put my finger on one where I would say that they are fully integrated. Interestingly, Uniqlo never strike I never browse the, the Uniqlo website because it's actually not a pleasant shopping experience. So when you when you take that, it's really interesting to see a retailer has amazing high standards when you go into the store, easy to shop. Yeah. easy to find things you know and and you're there with looking for a destination product generally um whereas you know when you the web experience isn't really there yet particularly it's in the same way the product's often there though isn't it from an availability perspective so if you're in store you nine times out of ten can get what you're able to find it absolutely so your reliance on the internet is less unless you are you know web first unless you don't live near near a city that's got one Mm, yeah which is my my Mm, problem so same here well, anyone listening in with any connection to Uniqlo, I'm sure will be delighted. Um, <laughs> um, just to pick up on something, and it, it is very much of the moment, is discounting. And we saw towards the run-up to Christmas even, fashion retailers having to discount or feeling they have to discount because they just weren't getting the sales volumes. So how do you stop that vicious circle that is eating into profits? Naina? 
I'll make a point here, uh, which again will, I'm not sure how this will go down. I, the, the thing that absolutely kills me is this phenomenon called Black Friday. Yeah. Um, which, you know, it's not that long ago since I was in corporate uh, fashion, but it was, it was just something on the horizon. What I cannot get my head around today is that we have most of the big players who take this on, which at the end of the day is a US tradition based on a US mindset. And yet we kill ourselves as retailers and we can't sell anything at full price beyond the 26th of November because the expectation is it's going to go into the sale and forget it. I think we are just self-harming, for want of a better way of putting it as retailers and my honest view on this is that if the big boys would just sit up and say we're not doing it but some did last year but this year the situation was so dire for them that actually those who said who'd resisted it ended up jumping on the bandwagon as well it's a hard you're absolutely right ben it's a hard drug to get off but you have to stand together and say this is what we're going to do because otherwise i mean that you get and you get different executions of it so you'll get some that are genuinely 20 percent off their entire collection but you also get versions of it where people are just buying things in under the guise of black friday that's not genuine that, in my view, anyway, I don't think that's authentic retailing. But I just think, as a as a retailer, we absolutely kill ourselves when we participate in things like that. Lorna, from your perspective on a on a trends and insights basis, looking ahead to Black Friday 2019, do you think we're going to see higher levels of discounting even beyond what we saw in November 2018? Or do you think some of the big retailers, fashion retailers, are going to step back and say, actually, this isn't sustainable, we can't keep cutting prices like this? I think 2019 is a very difficult year to call because of all the extemporary factors, um, you know, consumer confidence being one. But what I would say is, on the maybe maybe on the upside from Nana's point of view, is that we did have a lot of retailers recognising that they weren't making money out of Black Friday this time round, literally saying it up front to their investors and uh, that actually it's probably not working in the way that it should. And there's only a few players who it makes sense for. And I suppose... Everyone's chasing that share of wallet, but I think there will be some retailers who who are able to, and it's all about the ability to, to be honest, um, because some people are just chasing cash flow. Um, But if you can draw back from that a little bit and think about your brand, um, I think some people will be rethinking that. Naila, do you think discounting seasons and spikes in the calendar, like Black Friday, have overtaken the traditional fashion seasons of spring, summer, autumn, winter and so on? Uh, I think my starting point on that, Ben, would be are the traditional seasons of spring, summer, autumn, winter relevant today? Um, And I think that we tend to be slightly obsessed with selling T-shirts in February, which is usually the coldest month of the year and and coats in August which is usually quite often the hottest month of the year so I think there's this whole piece around what do the seasons actually mean and to be really simple you know you have a start of a selling period you then will need to clear it at some point in that selling period in order to start the next one so I don't think discounting itself is not is is wrong and you know my starting point when I started hope was I would I desperately want to trade it as it was when I was a girl. And, you know, you would go to the Christmas sales on um, the 27th of December or whatever it was, and then you'd look forward to the summer sales. And that, and it's just getting, you know, we, we've used this term a couple of times today about back to basics. And I think there's some really good learnings about how we did use to do things. And if we constantly discount, then I don't see where the joy in selling or receiving is going. Looking beyond this year, what are the prospects for the fashion retail industry? What will the future look like? In all honesty, I think that it will be a very different place, actually. I think that um, the way in which we shop, which both Nana and Lorna have talked about, will determine a lot of what the high street looks like. I think the way in which we're shopping and experiencing those brands will be quite different. I think they'll be smaller. I think they'll be much more local. I think that they'll be 
lots more in it for the customer. So it will be a much more fulfilling experience. But I just do believe that High Street will be king. I still believe that there is absolutely a need for that. Lorna? I think the most exciting thing is that we are going to see a new generation of brands come in. And unfortunately, that will mean saying farewell to a generation that are no longer relevant to who we are as shoppers. But I think that new generation is going to be pretty interesting, exciting. And I would hope that they will start, they will be doing business slightly differently. The fact that disruptors are opting to get into retail I think is really exciting because they will choose to do retail differently and you're already seeing that. And I think that's, that is going to be fun. And because retail just needs to be a destination again, you know, that's what I used to do. And some may, you know, nowadays that's probably seen as sad as we, you know, like, but actually it was a fun thing to do. I went out and met my friends and I, I, you know, we spent good times, you know, talking about what we wanted to buy, what we were looking for. And that excitement is just not there anymore for most people in the same way, um, or it's not shareable in the same way. And I think that's what we've got to ba- got to get back to is that community where you can share it in a live way. And if we can um, create some of those, that sort of more local, engaged practices, I think it'd be a, a great place to shop again. Naina? I think the really short answer to your question, Ben, is I'm not entirely sure um, because I That's think... That's honest. <laughs> yeah, but I think, I think um, you know, the generation of, of my kids who are 17 and 16, I think they'll just have a very different point of view about shopping. And I think this whole sustainability piece will be more relevant to them than it has ever been in our generation. And I think they'll insist on doing it differently. Based on all that we've discussed... If you could give clothing retailers, both big and small, one key piece of advice, one silver bullet that will help them restore their fortunes, what would it be? Kirsty? Do something. Do something now. Don't overthink it. What I'm really trying to get to is respond now, whether that is engaging with your people to elevate the retail standards in store. And I think we've all been talking about it and it does sound really simple, but I truly believe if we can get back to elevating the standards in which we give our customers, I think we could actually make a bit of a dent. So do something, do something now. Um, My point would be be completely single-minded about who your customer is and then create the right environment for that customer. But do not try to be all things to all people because it is either you'll fail or everything will be done at a half half pitch level. Yeah, it is customer focus. In the end, it is customer focus and it's blandly brilliant um, and unbelievably difficult to do. But it is, you know, who is your customer? And absolutely be focused on giving them what they need try and engage them with new product that they want to buy. Well, blandly brilliant. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, Thank you very much indeed, uh, all of you. Thank you to Lorna Hall. Thank you to Naina McIntosh. Thank you to Kirsty Keane. Well, that's it for this edition of the Retail Exchange Podcast. Thank you for listening and be sure to join us again next time. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter, hashtag RetailExchange. This episode is brought to you by retail transformation agency Visual Thinking. Thanks for listening.